And you're listening to Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. And welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio today are my colleagues, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week, and Douglas Goldstein, the e-futurist, a principal co-host at Health Innovation Media, who joins us for our periodic and typically month-end roundups. Greeting, guys. Greetings. It's great to talk to you. Get the show launched in 2017. Happy New Year. That's it. And that is our first uh, broadcast of the new year. We did our holiday year-end wrap-up uh, month-end last uh, month. So for those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, a Jacksonville-based Florida consulting firm. Fred serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Population Health Management and the advisory board of Care Innovations Validation Institute. Fred's a past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance. He is known on Twitter as at FS Goldstein. Douglas Goldstein, known as eFuturist, at eFuturist on Twitter, is an innovator in digital health, precision medicine, and population health. He specializes in applying the right mix of mobile, social, gamification, and big data analytics, including emerging technologies for improved performance and outcomes. As the eFuturist, Doug delivers the latest insights on health transformation through innovation, collaboration, and leadership. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and PrecisionMedicine.Center. If your hospital, health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is looking for social media marketing support, including digital media content development, curation, engagement, or amplification, ping me on Twitter via at 2HealthGuru or email greg with two Gs at healthinnovationmedia.com. Today's show is another exploration of the emergence of what has been deemed Trump care with all of its key threads, including the nomination of Representative Tom Price, to lead the Department of Health and Human Services, in addition to what can be stitched together from the legislative, journalistic, and social media communities weighing in on the matter. And with that introduction, and before I get to it, let's offer a full disclosure on the nature of the commentary you will hear during these broadcasts, at least on the Trump care portion of the conversation. We have representatives from the full ideological spectrum here. From the right is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, while I will opine from the left side of the spectrum and squarely in the middle, and our Washington insider will be Douglas Goldstein. So having said that, gentlemen, let's get to it. So Fred, you're up. What can you tell us? What have you been seeing? What's uh, caught your attention and what can you make of it? Well, first, let me just say that poor Doug, I guess, gets it in both ears. So sitting squarely in the middle. But I think it's, it's been interesting to watch because what we now have is the rhetoric is sort of turning into, well, now we actually got to do something. Um, and I think we can all agree that there are some things in the bill that seem to be good, like uh, no pre-existing conditions and, uh, you know, interest through your 26. While we clearly have issues with the bill around costs and um, actually getting even more people 
insured because of some of the pricing things. So it was it, in the last couple of weeks, we, it's now coming time to put the rubber of the road. And what you're seeing now is obviously there appears to be a difference between the legislative and incoming executive branch about repeal and replace. Are we repealing and replacing it? Are we repealing it and then we got to figure something out and replace it? Or are we going to just tweak it? I think um, it, it's, it's been a, for me, it's been an interesting conversation to watch. I just don't know that they're on the same page yet. And I'm not sure that they'll get to the same page. And that's a little disconcerting because at the end of the day, as I think uh, CBO came out and said, we're going to lose millions of people. If you, if you, if you repeal it, well, obviously if you repeal it without a replacement, they all drop. So um, there's got to be something done there. And uh, the incoming president has said, we're going to do something. We are going to have a replacement in place, but I haven't seen what that is, nor has anybody else. And uh, the question is, how much do they put on paper before they do something to repeal the bill or repeal pieces of the bill? So that's well, um, interesting. Go ahead. What, what's going to happen is it will be repealed, but not replaced for somewhere between two and three years. So it'll be repealed in name, so they can say we repealed it, but then there will be a progressive legislative process to address which parts that, because this is changing law. And even though the Republicans control everything, it doesn't mean it goes fast. It may go faster than if we had some balance in the power, but it's still there's regulatory parts that can be changed and there's priorities that can be shifted. But what has been implemented is a law that has been on the books for eight years that the entire industry has implemented. So I, and, and you're going to hear it first, this is really about co-presidents Ryan and McConnell and how they want to respond to their constituencies and the people in, in acting, you know, so, if the Democrats had taken over, it would have been, we've got to fix ACA. Well, the branding is repealing and fixing, repealing and replacing. It's, it's all fixing the elements. So I think cooler heads are in Congress, and uh, they know that they have to live with the electorate and frankly, they're at the risk of losing millions and millions of voters and support for what they achieve. So I, I think the the responsible, the people responsible to the people, the elected politicians, um, are are going to move. Uh, I might take in. issue with that, Doug, because what I think is happening is you heard the president come out and say we will have a replacement in place when we repeal it, and the. Uh, the folks in the Congress are saying, no, we're going to repeal it, and then we'll figure it out, or we'll have small pieces we've figured out and try to figure out the rest later. So if anything, I think at this point, at least the latest statement by President-elect Trump is, we will have a replacement when we repeal it. Is that um, not what was said? I, I did not see that specific quote. I just... I know that the legislative branch controls writing the legislation, not the president. And so um, they're going to move through a process. So whether it's repealed in name only, it could, I think it's likely to be repealed in name only with the details to be worked out. 
So let me, did you hear, I think it was Susan Collins, who yesterday said that, well, maybe we can be, it's almost like top, you know, what is it called? Ad hoc thought processes. Well, maybe we can let the states who want to keep the Affordable Care Act keep it, and those who don't can kind of go back to the drawing board and eat. I don't know if you've heard anything differently, but reinstitute what I consider to be hollow and empty Republican talking points, block grants to the state, risk pools, buying insurance over state lines, which always amuses when you think if you don't have critical mass in a marketplace, let's say you're in Texas and you want to write business individual small group in Louisiana if you think you can have a footprint in Louisiana as a Texas health plan or vice versa, that somehow you're going to get a, a health plan or insurance carrier, HMO, PPO, whatever, who's going to go in there and extract bet, you know, most favored nations rates from a payer in a particular geography with a light footprint. That's mythology. There's no economics that supports that. So when you hear buying across insurance lines, what it really is, code speak for junk insurance because you tag that with well eliminate the mandate yeah let's know let's get out of these minimum health benefit crap because if i'm a guy why do i need to get tagged for birth control and you know on and on it's just absolutely ridiculous so well they're going to run Doug, i want to come back side to the house greg they're going to run into the congressional budget office and they're both sides are can't grow the deficit so what's going to happen in this process is they, as, as the cost of an action get calculated, it's going to change the, it's going to change the process. So rhetoric's one thing, but when rhetoric hits the budget analysis, it, you know, that's why there's a number of steps in this process. Sure. So, and, and just to get back to that first topic, the headline in the Washington Post from yesterday or the day before the 16th, Donald Trump may have just destroyed the Republican effort to repeal Obamacare because he said in a weekend interview that he's nearing completion of a plan to replace the signature law. So the plan would be in place when they did the repeal, and obviously that's different than what the, the Congress is doing. Right. Well, so I like the, the overall. Go ahead. The overall time, for, the overall challenge you're going to have is that. Trump has also said that his appointees should do what they think is right. And he stayed away from, quote, his version of the bully pulpit. He stayed away. He's using bully as bully, not as President Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, used it as bully as awesome. This is a platform to do good. You know, President Trump will be doing it to bully people to his way. And I, I frankly think the people he's asked to serve will not be bullied because they're professionals. They've been responsible. They've been lawyers. They've been in, they have their decisions, but they're also mature legislative experienced folks um, who have responsibility to the people who elected them. And that, I guess, goes to your idea of the co-presidents uh, Mc, uh, Mc, uh, McConnell and Ryan, because I mean, 
you know, there's the bully pulpit and there's the Trump style, which as far as I can tell is say whatever comes into your mind whenever it occurs to you and don't worry about any kind of consequences. But, you know, the CBO, which you referenced, um, Doug, uh, their analysis shows the number of people, and I quote, who are uninsured would increase by 18 million in the first new plan year following enactment of the bill. Later, the elimination of the ACA's expansion of Medicaid eligibility and of subsidies for insurance purchased through the ACA marketplaces, that number would increase to 27 million and then to 32 million in 2026. That's political suicide. I believe, and that is that that number is based on CBO only does what what your bill is doing. There is no thing in the CBO analysis about a replacement. It's just but this is you can feel it. Of course, everybody loses their insurance. But I think this is the HR's thirty-seven sixty-two Restoring Americans Healthcare Freedom Reconciliation Act of twenty fifteen, which is authored principally by Tom Price. Tom Price, who is Donald Trump's nominee to head the Department of Health and Human Services, he has no love loss for the department, Medicare, or Medicaid. He's a non-participant in Medicaid. (laughs) Uh, Well, okay, there you go. The art of the possible. What do you think, Doug? Uh, I think he's going to run into the fact that we have laws, regulation, and a bureaucracy, and he may be able to slow down the rollout of at least CMS's version of pay for performance and quality and value, but the private sector is not turning back and they're going to run into the legislators are going to run into the constituencies, which are both the people, but also the business interests. They've just spent the last eight years retooling. They're not going back to fee for service. I mean, I mean, we've seen some of this. Is it enough? Is any of this that's being enough to lower any costs? And let me just make this a little more, uh, you know, down to because the end of the day, it is about people. It's about people and their health insurance. So, I, 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 the last, the last three people I know who got insurance through this, one of them is early retired with his wife, did very well. Insurance was a fortune, so they were trying to find a, a super high deductible, like a, a plan you, with a twenty thousand out of pocket, um, because it was just so expensive. And the second one was a young kid who was twenty eight, and he has chosen over the last couple of years. I just don't buy it; it's too expensive. And the third one was a was a family in California, in which the two parents and three kids saw their insurance go from twenty to twenty four thousand dollars with his small business. So it's something's got to be done about costs, and maybe that's where the bully pulpit should go. Well, the whole reason, one of the major reasons premiums went up is the risk pool diversified, but not as fast as people predicted. But the subsidies to the health plans was the last Congress, the last Senate, led by Rubio, basically defunded the subsidies to the insurance companies as the risk pool diversified. So the young 28-year-old who says, oh, $200 a more a month is too expensive to me with my $5,000 deductible, he spends more on beer. It doesn't mean they're thinking correctly yeah. when $200 a month or $100 a month, 150 that's a deal, but he doesn't have context to make that decision. 
Um, is that really a deal when you allow the seniors to have such a small adjustment and really rack in the variation in rates between risk pools? Well, so Fred, the don't go there. Kids were picking up an excessive amount. Well, yeah, but no, don't go there because <clears throat> if you really want to contrast that, you're talking about the Medicare program versus what's happening in the exchanges. And Doug is right on. You know, this was absolute subterfuge to defund the risk corridors. Hey, you create a brand new marketplace through these exchanges. You have no underwriting history. And God knows what percent of that total are people who have been uninsured for years, if not decades. So the idea was have a risk corridor. Let's buffer this. And then the Republicans defund that. And they say, well, look at these egregious premium increases. This is the failure of Obamacare. No, Obamacare included the buffering effect of these risk quarters. Now go to the Medicare Advantage side. Look at what's happening basically in co-payments and, co and cost sharing. Let me ask you something about that. Let me ask you something about that. So, so, and I agree with you, I, I think that was a bad move. But if you defunded the dollars that went to the health plan, that just means, so what they had to do was pick up the dollars somewhere else. But at the end of the day, people are still paying for that. It was somebody's money gonna go in to fund that. It was either the government's or somebody else's. So there was no cost control in this thing. And I think the Agreed. providers took advantage of it. Agree. Well, Agree. The, here's the other the thing. Cost... There's no cost control and fee for service. And yeah. frankly, this we're talking a human problem that can't be solved by problems. We live in a consumer society. We get upset when people eat too much and drink too much <laughs> because it causes obesity and diabetes and all these things. The, the fundamental challenges here are social, not healthcare I, policy. No, 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 no. I, I, I agree. There is a piece of that that is social, and there is a huge piece of that that is provider and payer led. It's the idea of, well, we can't negotiate with drug companies on their pricing. We, um, we can't send people out of state, out of the country to get treatment that would be one fifth the cost of providing in the United States for Medicaid and things like that that I think have been set in place by the industry themselves to protect it. It continues to grow. It's the ever-growing trough in this country that will consume everything you put in front of it and more. Right. So, so, so Romney Care as proxy for the Affordable Care Act, the difference there is obviously one small state, but nonetheless a more integrated cost control health reform package through, quote, Romney Care. All of the provisions around that are basically staggered and staged in the Affordable Care Act because coming down with a footprint on the cost was just politically impossible, infeasible, bottom line. The light footprint through, you know, APMs, you know, advanced uh, ACOs and bundled payments and this and that is toe in the water where you get some demonstration in some quarters in some markets where they actually create the kind of savings that the law intended, but relative to the total spend, it's a it's 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 a drop in the bucket. Yep, yep. And so what what I would hope comes out of this, and it's great because people are actually now having to deal with real issues, and they think you know, the CBO weighs in. You're starting to get some real stuff. Is at the end of the day, we got to come up with something that works. There are people that need coverage. We should get people covered. That should be just a universal goal. The question is, how do you do that? But how do you also not get well, taken advantage yeah. of in the process, which is, I think, what's happened in healthcare for years. The industry's taken advantage of. Yeah. 
Well, how does Trump do that? Because he's advocating for universal care, which I completely agree with. But he's disassembling the the very law that puts in some scalable fashion a pathway together towards universal coverage. So how does he get there out of the gate? Right. I think I think what you've got to do is look at I think what you've got to do is look at what in the bill was good. And there are clearly things in the bill that are good. And you ought to you ought to say, well, if 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 we've got to meet a political constituency that says, oh, it's got to be repealed, that word repeal has to be in there. And what you've got to do is say, well, gosh, you know what? We're going to, we're going to, at 12 o'clock, we're going to do a repeal. And at 12.0001, we're going to put in place yeah. these provisions that we know are good. And we're going to do this to control costs here, this to help providers here, this to look at the social determinants here, and actually put in place those other pieces that are needed to build upon what was correct, but didn't do, ultimately have anything to help really drive the, the change we need in the industry to help control costs. Sounds like a good solution, Fred, but uh, I think we're not, I, I think it's not going to happen. As a society, we view healthcare as a product and service to be bought and sold. It is not a value. So universal coverage will never happen in this country as it has in every other developed country, Canada, whatever. Our population is too large. So there's no other developed country that has universal care at our size. And number two, it's a product to be bought and sold. Uh, it's, not, it's not as we view education. Every child in America gets the right to a free and appropriate education. We may not execute it well equally in all places, but it is, it is part of our social compact. Healthcare is not. Right. Doug, I want to come at you with two questions then. One, one is you kind of have an inside seat at a trophy health system in the Northern Virginia area. Uh, what percent of their revenue is capitated? Less than 5%. Okay. Five to, probably right. in the 5 so that, to 10% range. Right. So for those of you who can't read in between the lines, that says a lot about where the com institutional commitment is, not just in Northern Virginia, but the, the nation, where the health systems, the motivation, the, the incentives, alignment with doctors or disalignment with doctors in the common cause. It's just not there yet, you know, so maybe you're 5% right. cap. Well, it's less about institutional commitment. This is about every health plan. What people, what I've appreciated is that every health plan, every medical device company, every provider, we get what we pay for. And what we have is an entire trip, multi, what, $300 trillion industry that is geared to, to do transactions, all of our training. Did I, wait, did I hear you say we get what we pay for? <laughs> That's right. We get procedures. I thought, I we thought get the Institute of Medicine National, I thought the Institute of Medicine now said that 30% of health care is waste. So that That's okay. We, we, that means waste means jobs. And so what we pay for is volume, so we get volume. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so it's a job right. bill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but all of our systems are created for transactions, not value and quality delivery, because the cost of a device well, or a staple or a, a pharmaceutical, everybody's rewarded for doing more. I agree. And that's one of, and that's one of my concerns, actually, in looking through what what uh, the nominee price has said is, you know, he doesn't like some of these new payment methodologies. 
well, if you're going to do fee-for-service, there ain't no way in heck we're ever going to control this. You've got to rapidly move down that change in reimbursement methodologies. And, and in essence, I think it almost will take a bully pulpit to force the industry to change. Okay, well, let I, me come back to you. Look, this is what this is what the future says. You're going to see industry change. You're not the government's going to slow down the move to value, but private sector commercial is going to continue down that road. And and you think this so, is a, a policy position of Tom Price as well to slow down the value portion of the agenda? He's openly stated that yes. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's unpack what that means. That means if you're not talking about capitation or prospective payment, you're talking about bundles. And what do bundles do? Bundles de-silo the silos by creating pit crews from cowboys. And he comes from an, a background as an orthopedic surgeon, with the cor- which according to MedPage Today Compensation Survey 2016 is the highest paid specialty. <laughs> now, I don't know how, how long he's been in the Congress and therefore, quote, out of active practice. But this guy had a what I'll, I'll call him. He comes from the I got mine club. You're on your own. OK, so he's. He, he, he's not someone who empathizes with the Medicaid population, the uninsured. You know, I'm sure he would be a fierce advocate towards the disintermediation of the healthcare financing and delivery to the point that you have basically a series of direct practices and then a whole layer of catastrophic health insurance underwriters around this you know, hey, I'm I'm disintermediating this bureaucracy known as HHS and CMS, and the way I'm doing it is to blow it up, and I'm going to pump in, you know, these direct practice models layered into a catastrophic health insurance scenario. That's where I think he's going, and that may have some merit, but that doesn't get the universal coverage that he- that Trump's talking about. No, I think the only way we can get to universal coverage is to actually take the costs out and use those costs to cover more people, use those dollars to cover more people. Um, and, uh, and if, you know, at, at the end of the day, people got to take less. We just can't, we $3.2 trillion in growing. Um, you know, and that, and that is one of the concerns I have with, with uh, the nominee is if you, if you're not willing to move into these new payment structures, you know, maybe that's why the AMA came out in support, I believe is, uh, is uh, it protects the docs, which is which is fine to a point. You know, you want the doctors to be practicing the best possible medicine and be, you know, mm-hmm. appropriately compensated, but it can't be huge. It can't be this crazy stuff yeah. we're experiencing now. Right. Prematurely, I might add, the AMA came out. There might be some second uh, Correct. thoughts Correct. about that. Mm-hmm. Well, look, how do you cut costs? Show me, uh, you know, what what is Rick Scott? The one thing he said that I've ever agreed with, I disagree with everything this man stands for. And uh, but he said, how do you get someone who wants to slash their revenue by 50 percent? You know, no one's going to do that. So. So remember, and you'll appreciate this because this may be coming more from your side. I think didn't Andy Slavitt say, you know, to uh, the incoming president, uh, you know, good luck going after the getting that pharmacy price down. And I do remember yeah. on his website, he said, I want to allow importation. Well, the minute you yeah. allow that, I'll tell you, every one mm-hmm. of those pharma mm-hmm. manufacturers come running right. and drop their price. Right. Yeah. That's what you start so doing. It, and if well, the other uh, thing Trump they start make... doing is laying off people. 
But if you're and frankly, and they drop back on their R and D. So basically, we drive the research and the pharmacological biohealth drug and delivery. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I think you know. We're employing people that are costing other people the inability to have health insurance, which is impacting their health care. We got to get rid of that stuff. Well, listen, I will say hail Trump if he allows Medicare, you know, undoes the the statutory prohibition against Medicare contracting direct for uh, for drug prices. Whoopie do. That's a great idea. So and the universal coverage thing, you know, to me, that means single payer, you know, but I don't see that happening anytime soon in a Republican administration. So any last thoughts, coverage in Germany? Uh, universal coverage, but he's, well, he's not saying what you're going to be covered for. Could be that hangnail. <laughs> yeah, there you have it. All right, guys, that's going to be our last uh, insight today on today's broadcast. Uh, I want to thank uh, my colleagues, uh, Fred Goldstein and Douglas Goldstein, for their time and insights today. Do follow Doug on the web at www.efuturist.net. And on Twitter by at eFuturist and Fred at www.accountablehealthllc.com and on Twitter by FS Goldstein. So, for my two colleagues, this is Greg Masters. Follow me on Twitter by at TwoHealthGuru. Till we meet again on Pop Health Week, for Fred Goldstein, for Doug Goldstein, Greg Masters saying bye now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.